You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on America's WebRadio.com. Kind of biblical storms going on here in Georgia. And uh, anyway, it was raining cats, dogs, and Caitlin's on the way here. It was really, really coming down. But uh, I survived. I made it. It's important to always have newer tires on your car. I will say that. I saw this uh, video the other day and uh, showed this pickup truck just <laughs> hydroplaning and sailing through a, uh, a four-way stop sign and then resting in front of a subdivision. I don't know if you ever watch any of those. You're a, kind of a truck guy, David. But, uh, yeah, I looked at it, and um, it, it, it's always important to, to keep fresh tires on there. I actually had a tree branch fall in front of me driving last night through one of these uh, monsoons that we get uh, oftentimes in the, in the summertime. And I, I literally had to get out. The shirt got completely drenched, had to move this. It was probably about a 30-pound branch. I'm pretty lucky it didn't fall right on top of my car. It would have caused uh, pretty significant damage if it had fallen on the hood. But uh, at any rate, folks, we've got a great show today. We're going to be talking to uh, our friend Valerie Martin, former radio host down in uh, Warner Robins slash Bonaire, Georgia, where Warner uh, Robins Air Force Base is located. We're going to be talking with her about the uh, the liberal outrage of the week, which is now based on uh, all the uh, outrage that we're seeing on social media and even in uh, mainstream media news is this outrage against this sorority named Alpha Phi at University of Alabama who had the audacity to, to make a recruiting video where it showed some of the sorority sisters engaging in whatever sorority girls do. And I, I tell you, David, I watched this video 13 times to try to be outraged. I did my research I did the due diligence for you. I even watched the end of the Georgia-Alabama game from a few years ago to try to foment some anger in me. And I got nothing. Absolutely no outrage. So, at any point, we're going to... Valerie was one of the first people that shared it yesterday. And, um, again, I, I did the due diligence for you guys. I'm brave. I will go the extra mile to make sure that my listeners... Know that I am looking out for them. And uh, anyway, it's apparently been removed. Uh, luckily, I have it committed to memory. That's what you get when you watch it 13 times, David. But uh, at any rate, it shows um, sorority girls doing what sorority girls do. And, uh, I mean, they it looks like they lay around in the grass. They race football players. They get the University of Alabama mascot. They have little parties. I will say they have a lot of – did you see that one or something? Or you, oh, no, you, I did I saw you get fired up there, well, Dave. Did you, just, did you get it, outraged by this video no, as well? No, no, no. I just it, it just it took me a little while to soak in. But you mentioned that you're going to the big city. Yep. And I it just dawned on me why you're going to the big city. Uh, I I assume that you watch Fox News every now and then, and they've had it on now two days in a row, maybe three days in a row, about. Uh, all of the topless women in New York City that it's not against the law. They body paint themselves. Red, white, and blue is the common thing right now. And uh, you can go and have your picture taken. And that's why you're going to New York. It just dawned on me. 
Well, you know, you found my ulterior motives. I mean, I am sure I'm going to have all this free time uh, with my wife's family to go and explore uh, these rather innocuous things. In fact, I may have enough free time I'll be able to find Hillary Clinton's emails. What do you, you think? Wouldn't that? That you, did you wouldn't see, have that. Did you see time. what they did with her? Um, they finally, after six months, they said, okay, we're going to turn over the server. And I'm not too much of a computer geek, but I do know that when you wipe a server clean before you give it back to the FBI or whoever has the um, uh, warrant for it, that you're erasing evidence. That you, I mean, it's basically like giving them something that you just purchased at Best Buy that has a warranty from Geek Squad on it. It has absolutely nothing incriminating on it. Now, I'm hoping that we've got these uh, encryption guys and all these other folks that are computer nerds. I hope they can do their job and find these emails. Now we're up to more than 300 emails so far. She's turned over 30,000 or... Is it thirty or three hundred thousand? That's a lot of emails. But anyway, no. It's now it's up to. Uh, we're at three hundred and five emails now. I believe that have classified information on it that was not only on her server that she also sent and received. So that's interesting. I think it's they, you know they were comparing it to Watergate today. It's far worse than Watergate. Far worse. Th- these are classified secrets showing where troops are, showing uh, drones. And their flight patterns, showing uh, some of our arrangements with some of our allies, some of our strategic plans against the Middle East. And it was all on Hillary Clinton's server, which is now wiped clean. But the good news for us, folks, is the Internet is forever. And so are emails. So she has this company called Platte River Systems or Platte River Networks. And I'm guessing that they probably kept some kind of backup hard drive and I do think it is in the American people's interest to figure out if she was so irresponsible that she would leave our country's secrets just out in the open for the Chinese and the Russians and North Koreans and anybody else who wants to pry into our information and then to lie about it. A lot of times, David, what they say is it's not the crime, it's the cover-up, right? That's what Nixon got in trouble for. You remember the uh, the Nixon era? I was I was a wee little lad back then in Ireland. Oh, I, I don't I really remember recall. Well. Okay, Very so well. so do you remember it was the cover up that stank so much, right? Oh yeah, you know, I've I, I said it then. I was in my twenties, mid twenties, I guess. I said it then, and and I've said it always that. Nixon, and, and this this is where ego gets you, and, and I think this is a large part of, not a large part, it is probably the biggest part of, of your girlfriend Hillary. Ego. If Nixon had come out day one and said, I didn't approve this, I don't know why they broke into Watergate, they will be punished accordingly, and I wash my hands of it. He would have been president for life. Not quite for life, but he would have certainly made it through his two terms. He would have made it through his second term. But instead, his ego got him. I'm bigger than anything and anybody. The laws are for you little people. They're not for me. I can cover up. Oh, no, I didn't say cover up. I can bless this action and nothing will happen. Wrong. 
Yeah, I mean, and and again, it was the cover up that was the biggest problem. Absolutely, it's, it's similar to the the Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky scandal. It wasn't necessarily the uh, the cheating or the sex that got him. It was the cover. Bill Clinton was actually impeached for perjury, not uh, cheating on his wife or, or having uh, oral. I mean, Oval Office sex. <laughs> Oval Office sex. Yes, yes. I'm, I don't know how that slipped out. I, I don't. You know. It's, uh, it's so basically, amazing they're com- they're comparing um, Hillary to tr- to Tricky Dick, but the reality is she married a, a Tricky Dick, right? Yeah, <laughs> or she lost that job too. <laughs> yeah, she will. She will. I think uh, you know. I have I posted something last week of her wearing this hideous orange jumpsuit, pantsuit, whatever huh. they're called. And I said orange is the new Clinton, which is a little bit of a spiel off of the TV show. Orange is the new black about the people in prison. But it, I hope she doesn't lose it. She looks really good in orange. Mm-hmm. An orange jumpsuit, matching ankle bracelet. We probably need to track her. You know, it's funny because but David Petraeus gets uh, imprisoned. Edward Snowden is threatened to be hung by pretty much all the... Uh, the, the war hawks in the Republican Party if he comes back. And Hillary Clinton does something that's just as bad and her being Secretary of State means she was privy to the most confidential information. It's funny seeing the different degrees of it. They're like they're like classified, confidential, top secret, super, super, super top secret, double secret probation top secret. And she is saying nothing that I sent or received was classified at the time. Now, I, it, it doesn't matter if it shows it emblazoned in Bing letters, top secret. If it's about troop movements or uh, some of our strategies to combat ISIS or uh, the Benghazi cover-up. I mean, a d- d- do you have to be told it's classified? No, wait a second. Come to think of it, it probably wasn't classified. She's telling the truth. They don't have a plan. So how could it be classified? That's an excellent point. I rest my case. That's an excellent point, sir. I, I, I too. Am Benghazi had no plan. What else had a plan? Well, Benghazi Anything has the cover-up. Have you seen the trailer for that? Since we had uh, Chris Peranto on here a couple weeks ago, and uh, since then, then the trailer for that movie has come out, and it's really it's a it's a Michael Bay directed film. It's uh, called Thirteen Hours, and it looks like it's going to be pretty damning for uh, Madam Secretary Hillary Clinton. And it's coming out at a perfect time because her delaying turning over this email server, David, all it has done is destroy her credibility and her truthfulness. And it's got folks like Joe Biden and Al Gore, who apparently has been resurrected from cryo-freeze, that are now rumored to be taking a look at jumping in the race. And Bernie Sanders is up by seven points in Vermont. Or New Hampshire, sorry, in New Hampshire, over Hillary Clinton. The Democrats are freaking out because 58% of Americans, and this is across a a wide swath of polling mechanisms, find Hillary Clinton untrustworthy. Did you see the video the other day that she was even joking about it? She goes, yeah, I have a a Snapchat now, and man, I I sure do love Snapchat, (laughs) because those messages disappear right away. Now, she got a little bit of a chuckle from a very pro-Hillary cr- crowd, but to to be so tone-deaf that you're distract and delay and divide tactics, and then you ended up turning over a clean server after six months, if you think joking about it is somehow going to add to your positives and add to your likability, 
for the mainstream folks, not the, not the far left or the Clintonites. Clinton is going to have a built-in 15 to 20% of zealous supporters that are going to do whatever she says, that are going to fall in line for whatever she says or does. But it's the independents, and if she really rallies Republicans to, to vote against her, we're clearly not on the same page as far as our presidential candidate goes. Trump is still leading the way by several points. And uh, Ted Cruz actually popped up into third place in a recent Fox poll. So we're going to be talking with David Johnson at about 2.30 about all these new developments. And uh, coming up at 2.15, Valerie Martin, a uh, friend and political consultant and former radio talk show host in her own right. I was on her show uh I think it was called Freedomizer Radio several years ago uh, to talk about some of the uh, presidential events. She was one of the first people to, to, to commentate about the sorority video, and I found her comments to be something that I agreed with. But it was also great to get a different perspective. Uh, yeah, I have a 2.15 and 2.30. Yep. So she'll be on at 2.15, and uh, we have David Johnson in at 2.30. We're going to go ahead and take our first break. We'll be back with Valerie Martin in a couple minutes. Thanks, as always, for listening to Greg's List. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's Webradio.com. As I mentioned uh, earlier in the show with the, uh, the latest outrage of, of the week, um, we've had 
uh, Lions, Cecil the Lion was an outrage. We've had other outrages. Donald Trump has been an outrage, which that one's kind of an ongoing one, and there may be a little merit with that. But uh, again, when you keep mentioning somebody's name, he's going to keep up in the business cycle. And this week, the, day, the, the, the newest outrage of the week is a sorority recruitment video from the University of Alabama which is a neighboring state for us, and it depicts a bunch of sorority girls doing sorority things. And supposedly this is such an outrage, and it dehumanizes women and objectifies them, that the left has turned their meter on, and they have harassed the sorority and the University of Alabama so much that they have forced them to take down the recruiting video. But thanks to uh, the magic of social media, a lot of people have been able to view it. It had more than 500,000 YouTube views, which I think that that would be a really big rush class. But uh, anyway, joining us right now is my friend Valerie Martin. She's a political consultant and uh, used to host a radio show. I think you still do a little part-time radio show hosting, don't you, Valerie? Well, every now and then I'm, I get asked to be on shows on Freedomizer Network, which is the, the online radio network that I used to, to do back in 2012. And occasionally folks like you ask me to come on and be a guest. So, But usually it's just in the role as a guest, but I do appreciate you inviting me to be on the show. Well, you were one of the first people I saw to kind of comment on it uh, yesterday, this, this faux outrage, and I certainly was curiosity peaked as to what could possibly be so outrageous about a sorority recruitment video and as I mentioned I I watched it uh, more than a dozen times and I absolutely could not find any outrage to be had but uh so so tell, Valerie why is why is the left mad at this why is there outrage am I missing something here it's like a bunch of sorority girls doing sorority girl things and somehow the left has turned this into a national news story what am I missing here well, you know, my attention was first uh, placed on the video back on Friday when a, a good friend of mine from high school, her mom and I are Facebook friends, and I, I saw she had posted a, a, an article that was critical of the video, and it shared a link to the video, and that article was written by a, a, some guy named A.L. Bailey on um, the AL.com website, and you know, in in the criticism, he used words like homogenous, and the the girls were selling themselves as a commodity. That it was too sexy, and ultimately, he was saying that he wouldn't show something like that to his own daughters because he believed that it was demeaning to women. And of course, at, at best, he he described it as being shallow, but at worst, it was sexist and racist and classist. Yeah, I, and, um, yeah, I just pulled up uh, him right now. A.L. Bailey. That's a great name if you're from Alabama to have your initials A.L. I mean, really? Uh, so he says it's racially and aesthetically homogenous and forced, so hyper-feminine, so reductive and objectifying, so Stepford Wives College edition. It's also unempowering and so this is probably i'm going to guess this is an old white man who feels unempowered by this video now now i i don't know help me understand why an old white man would feel unempowered by this video i i do you think uh an old white male really is an authority on uh how a how a woman should be empowered valerie well i think that 
Well, I think this has to do with the definition of feminism and what it is and who gets to define it. Does a man get to define what it means to be feminist or do women get to ultimately define what feminism is? And is it subjective? You know, who decides what is demeaning to a woman? And and for me, as a woman, you know, I feel like <laughs> these girls, uh, ladies, young women, they were uh, in a video by choice to promote their beautiful, glamorous um, sorority lifestyle. And they were emphasizing all of the things that they think people who join a sorority want to see, the camaraderie, the, the, the fashion, uh, you know, and, and it doesn't show them, arguably, doesn't show them reading books or, you know, giving a lecture at a podium or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but it's really about a fantasy. And if these women are the ones deciding what the fantasy is supposed to be, this, this ideal sorority life, then that's fine. They're the ones that get to, you know, say what is, is, is good for women, good for them. Yeah. And, and people are talking about how this exploits women or objectifies them. Uh, you know, I would, I would say I could be more prone to agree with something like that if some somehow this was an undercover video shot by somebody going through rush and then uh it shows them you know like it it reminded me a little bit of the uh you know that SAE video from the University of Oklahoma where they were making racial slurs the outrage for this is is a little similar to that and i see these things being completely different because the women themselves made this recruitment video and i got to say it was very professionally done very well edited it was on shot on a lot of different locations it had aerial footage i mean i don't know if it was a helicopter that was shooting some of these uh aerial scenes or could have just been a, a very fancy drone but it certainly wasn't something that was you know just made in a night so and they made it themselves so are, are, are we now going to argue that somehow they've exploited themselves is that the argument I think, you know, probably, Greg, what the problem here is, is that people, especially um, in Alabama, uh, they're, they're still very sensitive to uh, something that might present Alabama sorority life as a, a lack of, having a lack of diversity, you know, because they they really want to seem as if, Alabama has overcome a lot of the, the challenges it's faced in the past, especially at the University of Alabama with uh, segregation and things like that. So people are hypersensitive to something like this, this video, because they don't want to run the risk of people misinterpreting them as being racist or classist or exploitive of women. Mm-hmm. So they're automatically on edge when something like this comes out, when in reality they don't really need to be so defensive about it. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we need to, to learn that, uh, I, I mean, I can imagine, I went to University of Georgia and the rush process even 20 years ago was very... Uh, 
competitive, if you will. And I can imagine that uh, the sororities want to get the uh, the best uh, girls well-rounded. You pointed out something yesterday that you would you would have wagered that half of these uh, women were majoring in accounting or, or med, pre-med or whatever. That point was not really illustrated in this video. But again, if you're, it, it's all about marketing. And so if your video is saying, okay, we're the uh, we're the best sorority on campus. Here's proof. We were able to get the Alabama mascot. We were able to get some of the football players to run with us. We have a sense of humor. Uh, clearly, they, 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 fitness is important to them. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, that's a, that's a little bit of an Well, there is a lot to be said <laughs> for, you know, exuding confidence in a bikini. <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, there's a lot to be said for, be, you know, fitness and being attractive and owning your own body as a woman. Um, I do think, though, you brought up my comment yesterday that, you know, there probably are a, a large number of women in this Alpha Phi sorority who are honor students, who are pre-law or pre-med, you know, who are highly educated women, very um, established in their fields already, um, and getting a lot of great recognition for that, but that's not emphasized in this video. Um, and to me, you know... My major issue with the video was uh, society kind of forces us as women to choose between being attractive or beautiful or, you know, using our physical appearance or being smart, you know. Uh, You can't have it both ways. It's hard to be a beautiful, smart woman because um, people will say that you run the risk of not being taken seriously. Yeah, and that and that's and that's the ultimate dehumanization, isn't it? And, and isn't it that is. the left's isn't that the left's biggest fear is a smart, attractive, conservative woman. That that really they go out of their way to demonize. And I like to point out the outrage on 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 the Alabama video was was clearly a polarized uh, segment of society. It was these left-wing speakers or this uh, a guy AL uh, Bentley or whatever his name was from Bailey Bailey and you know who's uh, I don't care if you don't want your daughter joining the sword is dad you're the one who would be paying for that if you want her her to not join one or to join the the chess club or the, or the the mathletes or whatever that's you know you can you can direct her in that course but for you to be a 60 plus year old white male saying that this is dehumanizing women I thought it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek I thought they were having a good time I thought they were kind of making a little bit light of it, it was so over the top, kind of you know sorority girlish that they had to have had a little bit of a tongue in cheek in it, and for this faux outrage machine to 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 go up and running, just it it, it was humorous to me. But at the same time, it, you know, we I encourage people to speak out when the left says this is bad and all it is is freedom of speech. We need to defend free speech like this. Sure, and and you know, it just goes back to where um, our society has lost the ability to mind our own business. You know, if, if you didn't like what these girls were doing, then you would just say to your daughter later, hey, don't do what these girls do. You know, or if you felt strongly, you know, that this shouldn't happen or whatever, well, then you wouldn't send your kids to that university. You know, it's, it's, it's really hard because in our culture of faux outrage, as you pointed out, we feel like we have earned some right to tell people how they are supposed to live their lives 
um, and, and that we have this sense of righteous indignation over silly things. And this is really one of those instances where, um, you know, the guy could have just ignored it, and it probably wouldn't have given it as so much attention. And, and from my understanding, you know, they probably did really well with, with their recruitment. You know, yeah, I mean, so. I would, I would imagine that uh, I, I would take the opposite tack. I would argue that these girls are now the most popular and most powerful women on campus. They just owned Rush for the for really the country, in my opinion. So. Right, and it, and it's mostly because of this uh, attention that was shown to it to try to you know tear them down, but instead it made people even more aware of what they were doing. Yeah, and that's uh, a, and that's the best part about this when the left does engage in this. As long as we defend uh, freedom of speech and the, the mind your own business mantra articulately, then it's going to empower more people to do what they want as long as it's not hurting other people. No, no there's no way this was not this was not the SAEs on a bus chanting racial slurs. This was a bunch of girls doing what girls do in sororities. Valerie Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll need to have you you back so we can talk about some more of the, the left's faux outrage and uh, look forward to, to hearing from you again. Thanks for calling in today. My pleasure, Greg. Take care. And we'll be back in a couple minutes with David Johnson from Strategic Vision to talk about the ever-changing POTUS race. See you in a minute on Greg's List. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's web radio. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we're back on Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism on only on America's AmericasWebRadio.com. Switching gears from faux outrage against a, uh, a bevy of sorority girls in Alabama that are now nationally famous. Thank you, leftists. And your outrage machine, your faux outrage, if you will. Switching gears to the ever-changing landscape of the political... Uh, race for president. In fact, it's it's interesting that the Democrat side is getting a lot of new uh, 
potential interest in it as well with the decline of Hillary Clinton as a relevant, trustworthy candidate. Uh, joining us once again is one of my, my favorite guests, David Johnson, to talk of presidential politics. David, welcome back to Greg's List. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to be back on. Yep, I uh, you know it's good to kind of have these uh, uh, these chats once a month to talk about what's changed in the race on the Republican side. We uh, we I, I was thinking that by now the the Trump factor would have diminished, but uh, he's still leading the way in uh, most of the states and in the national polls. What's been interesting, though, is kind of the battle for second and third place. And one of my favorite candidates, Scott Walker, uh, has dropped a little bit. And uh, we've seen him replaced uh, second place as, I guess, Jeb Bush. And Ted Cruz made a, uh, a surprise at third place uh, this past uh, week in a Fox News poll. So, David, help us sort out this um, Let's uh, let let's give Trump the 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 front runner status right now. But let's talk about kind of the battle, but for second through sixth place right now, and and what's going on there. Well, right now it's a wide open race. I mean, Donald Trump, yeah, he's leading in the polls, but that's to be expected with the amount of coverage he's getting compared to the other candidates. But if you look at some of these states that are coming up, Iowa, New Hampshire, you have to be on the ground pressing the flesh in Iowa. No one has ever won without visiting all 99 counties. Donald Trump's not going to do that. Scott Walker, Rick Perry, Bobby Jindal, some of these other candidates, they've done that. The way you win in Iowa is organization visiting the voters. The same in New Hampshire. Trump is running basically a TV-style campaign, and that's not going to be enough to pull him over the finish line, I don't think. So what we're really witnessing right now is Who's going to be in second and third that could really pick up some of Trump's uh, supporters and the other thing be the establishment candidate? We always assumed it was going to be Jeb Bush as the establishment candidate, but right now we're seeing John Kasich make a move for it. Uh, In New Hampshire, he's coming on strong. In Iowa, Jeb Bush is going nowhere fast, it appears. (laughs) He's not putting in the time and the effort needed to win. Then you have Ted Cruz and Scott Walker. They're battling out for the conservative uh, uh, mantle. So right now it's a wide-open race, and you have Carly Fiorina, who's an outsider, but who's really captivated a lot of voters. And the question is, can she parlay that into something more? We're already seeing some hit pieces come out criticizing her for her tenure at HP today. So I think some of these other candidates are beginning to take her seriously and want to knock her down before she gets more momentum going. Yeah, she picked up a lot uh, via the uh, debate. Uh, she was at the uh, what was called the kids' table debate and pretty much dominated that. I believe she had an 84% uh, majority or, or, or voting uh, as, as far as who won. Rick Perry, unfortunately, uh, I think thought he'd be able to, to gain some momentum with that, and he did not. The momentum was gained instead by Carly Fiorina, and Perry has gone kind of the John McCain tack now and is basically stop paying his campaign um, staff. He's got a super PAC behind him that's got about $17 million and they're just going to try to keep him um, in the mix of things until uh, some of these uh, caucus states and probably hope that some of these other candidates make what uh, what the errors that he made a few years ago. Because, you know, we're in such a soundbite society now and that's what Governor Walker and Governor Bush uh, were condemned for from the debate was they took it too safe. Uh, I don't think that that was 
so bad of a tactical mistake, though, David. What do you think about them kind of playing it safe at the debate and hoping that they can survive the first couple without making a, a Rick Perry oops, if you will? I think right now the, both of them know this is going to be a long, protracted battle. Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina are not going to decide anything. We could have separate winners from all these contests. They're planning for the long haul. They'll have the money to do so. So I think right now they don't want to make a mistake that really could jeopardize their whole campaign strategy. And also, you know, yeah, they came across, you know, maybe overly cautious during that debate, but they also came across presidential. You could see these candidates as people who could sit across the table from Putin from the Chinese and really be the President of the United States and deal with these issues. And I think that's what they're looking at, too, because at the end of the day, what we see with a lot of Republican voters, yeah, they'll go for a Donald Trump, a Ben Carson, but as we get closer, they'll begin thinking, who do we see that can really win the election, but also govern as president? And we've seen that happen over and over again in the primary system. Yeah, it's funny that, uh, you know, Donald Trump is basically pay- playing the role of kind of the angry mouthpiece, and he's, uh, you know, got, you know, 30% or so max- is his max support level that we've seen. Uh, I saw an electoral college prediction that showed him losing, in a <laughs> like, by 300 electoral votes to Hillary Clinton. Now, again, that's if the election was held today and a bunch of other factors involved. But it seems to me he has a ceiling, and I don't think his support is as strong as uh, maybe some of what the polls would say. You're getting people that are uh, are upset with the way the country's going. They're answering a phone poll or maybe doing an online poll. But I, I don't think he has that layer of support because I don't think he's going to start spending his own money. I think if it, he realizes that, oh, I've got to spend a billion dollars of my own to get a campaign staff in all 50 states and to start running ads. Because right now the, the news media is running all his ads for him, so that's free. But that'll eventually dissipate once he starts having to have concrete platform positions and uh, he did come out with a immigration plan which looks very xenophobic and um, you know I just uh, I, I think eventually once he has to start spending his own money and hiring staffs and all these states that you mentioned that we're going to see his support dissipate not only that too I think once we get it gets winnowed out a bit and some of these candidates go by the wayside and it's Donald Trump, say, against Scott Walker or Jeb Bush or some of these other candidates, we're going to see how that ceiling of support does hurt him. As you mentioned, his ceiling of support in a lot of these polls is between anywhere between 20 to 30 percent. That's great when you're running against 16 other candidates. (laughs) But when you're running one against one, no, that's not that great. And that's where I think he begins getting hurt. Yeah, and you mentioned, um, you know, we're going to start seeing folks drop out. Rick Perry is stopped paying his campaign staff. He's not officially dropped out yet. He does have the name ID. He'll still have uh, evangelical support. He'll still be invited to speak. His wife, uh, Anita, is going to be here on Friday for a tea event. Uh, Rafael Cruz, father of Ted Cruz, is, is going to be here uh, tomorrow night in Beaufort, Georgia. So we're seeing some of these candidates gain traction. But let's talk about the ones that will be kind of the ones to the first ones to get off the off-ramp. I see a Rand Paul doing that because he has been unsuccessful at uh, getting Kentuckians to uh, say, oh, you can run for president and senator at the same time, with him trending at 3% or lower, and really not much of a path to... uh, to get, he, he's tried to attack Donald Trump a little bit to get some uh, some name ID that hasn't really seemed to to catch on. He really doesn't have a a, a strong enough 
cross appeal to a lot of different bases that he'll be able to climb up. I think he's going to want to be senator, and he'll be one of the first to drop out. That's just a Greg's list. I think so. I mean, I think George Pataki, uh, Jim Gilmore, they'll be gone before too long. Look, Rick Perry, I think, will be around because what we have to remember, these super PACs can in many ways sustain a campaign, even if the campaign itself doesn't have enough cash. Mm-hmm. And Rick Perry's super PACs definitely have that money that they can keep him viable, at least through Iowa, right. which he's counting on. So I think he'll be around. Bobby Jindal is another one that I would not be shocked if he's not gone from this race. He's not raising money, and he's not moving the polls. Lindsey Graham's another one as well. Look, uh, his polls, I mean, he hasn't moved the needle whatsoever. <laughs> He's running a one-issue campaign basically on foreign policy. Yeah, like go, that's let's go not back to win yeah, yeah. campaign. Let's go back to Iraq. I mean, that's like his, uh, his campaign is let's, let's send 30,000 troops back there. Whether or not that strategically that's something that we need to do, you certainly aren't going to win over any votes doing that. Uh, Lindsey Graham is certainly not going to resign his Senate seat. I see, uh, uh, you know, you know who surprises me who hasn't, uh, done as much, uh, I guess, movement in the polls, as I thought, is uh, Marco Rubio. What's going on with his campaign? Why isn't he uh, springboarding, um, you know, some of these other, or leapfrogging some of these other candidates? Rubio had his moment when he announced, and then Donald Trump came along, and he's really taken all the oxygen out of the air. Rubio isn't raising as much money either. I think he's really counting on these debates, really to show that he's got some life and have people give him a second look right now i mean he's still in that top tier he still could take off he's not in a Rand paul situation so i expect ruby will be around for a while Mm -hmm. but the problem for him the problem for any of these candidates right now is donald trump is dominating the airwaves and you know it's a bad thing for the republican candidates it's a great thing for hillary clinton because people are talking more about him than they are about her emails yep well, yeah, and that then that's one of the the frustrations that uh, Republicans have, uh, you know, the the evil establishment ones, if you will, is that Donald Trump, who's been on, if you've ever been on a side of an issue, then chances are Donald Trump's been on the same side with you, and uh, for him to really be starting to come out with some some strong policy pieces, we're finally seeing something. But it's going to be easy to pick those apart and have video of him saying, "Well, three years ago, you weren't uh, like this." I think when it gets down to less. Than 10 candidates and the debates are going on, then he will become somebody that is just, you know, hit upon at the debate and his angry side will come out. I mean, do you really want somebody that has uh, his kind of temperament in, in control of the largest nuclear arsenal in the world? Do you want him negotiating treaties? I mean, sure, we like having this, this the bravado. But at the end of the day, you're going to say, well, you know, the president of the United States is not a CEO of their own company. It's you were representing 310 million plus Americans and representing us on the world stage. So I think that that, you know, the bravado uh, that he shows now will turn out to be a little bit of a weakness. I definitely think so. This guy doesn't have the Teflon like a Ronald Reagan or the hardcore support. People are attracted to him right now because he is anti-establishment. He's hitting on the hot issues. And they also love, too, the fact that the people who are criticizing him are the people who your middle America can't stand. So that's fueling his rise right now. The question is, and I don't think he does, does he have sustainability? Can he go the entire way? 
And no, I don't see that happening. Yeah, will the will the act get old? So the next debate is September sixteenth. Um, I'm guessing there's. I think they're CNN is hosting it, and they're talking about having all of the candidates on there at once. Is that is is my information correct on that? Your information is correct, all but James Gilmore. Okay, yeah, yes, they're not even including him in the numbers. Yeah, so basically, uh, I would s- think that uh, everybody's going to stick around till at least then. Especially when they have sixteen, I'm sure CNN is just salivating at that uh, that sight of the uh, the GOP clown car, as they've called it uh, many times in the past. David, let's take our two forty five break when we get back. Talk a little bit about uh, the Republicans, and then t- switch over to the Democrat side. That's my favorite talking point in this issue. Back in a couple minutes with David Johnson on Greg's List. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. My name is Dr. Jeff Terry from Mobile, Alabama. I love taking care of my patients and not computers. That is why I need your help. On October 1st, the government will mandate that I implement the new ICD-10 coding system, and if not able to do so, then I will be put out of business and my patients will have to find a new physician. Please call and write your congressmen and senators today and tell them no to ICD-10. Tell them physicians need a grace period in order to concentrate on you, the patient, and not the computer. From Doug Dahlgren, an action series that grabs you and won't let go. Four members of Congress all die within months. Each death appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary war heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search uncovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun, Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, in Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's Webradio.com. We're talking presidential politics, handicapping the race with uh, strategic visions, David Johnson. And David, I misspoke earlier. I always correct in, uh, any mistakes that I find. I try to look them up during the break. Ben Carson is actually in second place after the, uh, the debates in this Fox News poll. Donald Trump first, Ben Carson second, Ted Cruz third, Jeb Bush fourth, and then Huckabee, former Governor Mike Huckabee, and Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker tied for fifth. Uh, So what does that say? We've got Donald Trump and Ben Carson, two folks that I really don't think have any kind of national organization, and they are at 38% of the uh, vote in this Fox News poll. Where does that 38% go? Who's able to pick some of that off? Well, that's the big question. I mean, what's interesting with Trump and uh, Carson in the first and second spot is both of them are anti-establishment candidates. Both of them are not career politicians. And it shows the mood of the electorate, that voters are angry. They're looking for an end to the status quo. Whichever candidate can really appeal 
appeal to that kind of voter sentiment is going to be able to resonate and capture this support that's and a, move that's, up forward. That, that's a great point. Should should uh, is that going to hurt somebody like a Jeb Bush who is viewed as the establishment and perhaps help? a Scott Walker or even a Huckabee who has kind of this economic populism, uh, is that going to be a path for them to say, okay, this is resonating. Let me grab some of this and, and maybe a little bit of the Vin Carson. Let me combine both aspects of it with maybe not the uh, the xenophobia that's being exhibited uh, by Donald Trump, maybe do a, a kinder, gentler Trump. But let me, let me grab some of these messages. I think Jeb Bush will have a really, really hard time grabbing onto that. I think a Rubio could maybe grab onto that a little bit because uh, he hasn't been in the Senate that long. Huckabee's been uh, gone from it for a while. And the governors really aren't part of the Washington establishment. So do they have a better argument than some of the senators maybe? Oh, I definitely think so. And I think it also gives an opening, too, for someone like Ted Cruz, who's really aiming his message at the Ben Carson, Donald Trump supporters, but trying to show a more polished version and also someone who knows how to work the system. Yeah, and he finished third in it, and he has been doing an exceptional job, in my opinion, campaigning here in the South. He's called the South his firewall, which means if he doesn't really catch on in some of the uh, top-tier states, or uh, some of the first uh, states, that once he comes to the South, he'll... It, basically, any state that has their uh, primary before March 15th, it's not a winner-take-all. So you can be grabbing delegates. If you finish second in Georgia, a very delegate-heavy state on uh, the March 1st, the SEC primary, then you're going to be taking a lot of delegates, and that will continue your, your momentum through the 50 states, plus all of the, uh, the Virgin Islands and American Samoa and all that stuff. So that's one strategy. So you see Cruz having um, uh, the ability to, to stick around for a while. No, I definitely do. And I think that's something that he's planning on because he knows this is not going to be decided early. He knows he, his uh, style of politics might not do very well in New Hampshire and Iowa. So what he's planning for is beyond that. And he realizes this is going to be a protracted battle it might actually be like 1976, where we go all the way to the convention with the candidates fighting for delegates still. <laughs> That's going to be the long, hot summer. And the good news for Republicans is the Democrats are, uh, I, I guess, in somewhat of disarray. They've got to be looking at their candidates saying, OK, Republicans are going to be duking this out. But they're facing Hillary Clinton, who is very damaged, and more than 58% of Americans in a variety of polls think of her as untrustworthy. She's also old news. She's also not a good candidate. She's also uh, corrupt. Uh, she's also the, the, the best thing about her is she's married to Bill, uh, as, as far as the Democrats go. Uh, then you have Bernie Sanders, an avowed socialist. And once you start really drilling down his politics, I think that would scare the uh, mainstream electorate. Uh, then you've got a couple other guys, Jim Webb, Martin O'Malley, that uh, neither of them have really gained any traction. And, uh, you know, they're trying to get a couple other folks to run, a couple newcomers, which Joe Biden, who I think would actually be a somewhat formidable candidate. And then I even heard Al Gore. So help us make a little sense of their side and uh, what you think about Republicans running against Hillary Clinton versus a couple of the other ones we mentioned. Well, the Democrats are in disarray right now. Look. It's not just because of the email uh, problems that Hillary's in trouble. Elections lately have been base elections. And the problem for Hillary and the Democrats right now is Hillary does not infuse the base with enthusiasm. 
uh, the Democratic Party has moved a lot further left under Barack Obama than it was under Bill Clinton, and they don't trust Hillary Clinton. They don't believe she's really going to be another strong liberal like Barack Obama. That's why you're seeing all the interest in Bernie Sanders. Yeah, he's a socialist, but he appeals to the Democratic base's heart. <laughs> uh, Martin O'Malley's really been the surprise for me. This is a guy who looks great on paper. He comes across well. Even though he's far left, he comes across in a normal, rational manner on television, but he's going nowhere. The Democrats realize they need someone else besides Hillary. She's already lost her lead in some of these key battleground states against potential Republicans. Democrats fear that with Clinton on top of the ticket, it could be a Democratic disaster. So they're looking for uh, Joe Biden, Al Gore. Some people have even talked about Jerry Brown, the governor of California. Mm. That shows you how desperate the Democrats are. The problem right now for Hillary Clinton and the Clinton campaign is she's not in control of her destiny. She's not in control of this campaign. If all things were equal, she'd be able to beat the potential Democrats. The problem is Barack Obama controls her destiny. He can tell the Justice Department... Look, you know, go soft on her or play this by the books. And if that happens, I think she's in serious trouble. Yeah, it's almost Additionally, like... Barack Obama can endorse Joe Biden or anyone else who gets into the race. And that would be lethal for Hillary as well. Yeah, and it's almost like Hillary Clinton is the Democrat version of Donald Trump where she is sucking all the air or the life out of the uh, room because she, she gets less popular the, the, when she made the joke about Snapchats disappearing. I mean, that you know that got her, uh, her zealous supporters to uh, a few laughs, but uh, for the mainstream people that don't trust her, for her to be joking about it, I think is uh, very tone deaf. Oh, no, I agree totally. I don't think they realize yet the seriousness of this email controversy. It's not going away. It continues to be talked about. We continue to see more and more emails being flagged, and the potential for criminal uh, prosecution is increasing, it seems, daily. She's definitely in trouble, and their campaign doesn't really seem to realize the seriousness of their situation yet. Yeah, so what does Joe Biden do? He gets into the race, and he would immediately be a force. He's actually, his um, approval ratings have gone up significantly, and it's not just because of the, the unfortunate passing of his son. It's because people are thinking that he would be the best and most likely to continue Barack Obama's policies, and he doesn't have the... Uh, the baggage of uh, of a Hillary Clinton. He's actually been fairly. He's made some uh, off the cuff remarks that people have, have questioned, but he doesn't have nearly the corruption charges that uh, Hillary Clinton does. So, what do you think about his chances? Well, I think they would be pretty good. I mean, one of the things for Joe Biden that he's got going versus Hillary Clinton is people are looking for people who are authentic candidates who are authentic this cycle. And the one thing you have to say about Joe Biden. He is authentic. His stuff's not canned. He just speaks, speaks at the top of his head, which we all know, and he comes across as a happy campaigner, as someone who really enjoys campaigning, meeting the voters. Hillary looks like she would like to be anywhere else than <laughs> talking to a voter. Yeah. And I think all this plays in Biden's favor, and I think he inherits the Obama machine if he uh, jumps into the race. 
Yeah, that, I, I agree with that. He would certainly uh, be be great for sound bites, and uh, you know, and, and I think Republicans run the risk of underestimating old Uncle Joe because he does have the kind of everyman appeal, and with the support of uh, if Obama comes out and, and vigorously endorses him, um, you know, you're going to have. Uh, I I think the Democrats are worried that they're just not going to have the African American vote in block come out and support a Hillary Clinton, even if Obama runs around with Hillary Clinton t-shirts on, I think they're going to realize that she's just not going to drive that turnout. Uh, is that something that you'd agree with? Oh, definitely. And I think they also know, too, with Hillary Clinton, if something happens during the midst of the campaign, they're finished. And I think that's what they're worried about more than anything right now. All right. Well, David Johnson, thank you, as always, for helping us sort out this mess. I'm sure uh, I'll probably try to get you back on after the September 16th debate, as I'm sure we'll have a new front runner or somebody running a close second to uh, uh, Donald Trump. And by that time, hopefully after that, we will have some candidates that formerly drop out so we can get under this 10-candidate limit and have it, have it at least be somewhat um, fair on the debate stage as far as talking points for everybody and uh, actually candidates that have somewhat of a chance. David Johnson, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Bye-bye. And as always, folks, we thank you guys for, for listening to Greg's List. Replays of the shows are on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You can always tweet at us at Greg's List Live or find me on uh, the, the web at gregslistlive.blog.com. We look forward to seeing you all next week on Greg's List. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.